Today's show is sponsored by O'Reilly. O'Reilly is known for its animal books, which have helped tech professionals stay ahead for over 40 years. Today, its online learning platform at O'Reilly.com takes learning tech to the next level. Sure, your teams get access to thousands of books and videos, but there's also interactive learning, which is where you can get hands-on with tech like Kubernetes, Python, Docker, Java, and much more in live dev environments. So they learn by doing, not just reading. With live online sessions, your teams learn from the biggest brains in AI, software architecture, cloud, data, programming, and more. They can even prep for tech certification exams with official materials and interactive practice tests. And then there's O'Reilly Answers. You just ask the search engine any tech question, and it takes you right to the best answers from O'Reilly's renowned books. It's why 66% of all Fortune 100 companies give their teams O'Reilly Online Learning. Get a demo today at O'Reilly.com. That's O'Reilly.com. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. We continue to plow through March and uh, hope everybody is enjoying the shows so far this month, both the Wednesday shows and the Sunday perspectives. Um, kind of a lot of Cloud News of the Week. We're going to kind of dive into some things and always keep in mind uh, there is a link to Cloud News of the Week in the show notes. Actually, uh, quite a few more things actually get listed. Uh, so, you know, if you really want to kind of keep up with what's going on, we don't cover all of them. We could try and hit some of the highlights, but there's always more in the Cloud News of the Week link that's in the show notes. Let's go ahead and get started. First off, big acquisition, uh, Okta, who has been a sponsor of the show, um, acquired Auth0 for $6.5 billion. And uh, Auth0 was uh, previously on the show a long, long time ago when they first got started. But uh, pretty huge acquisition. You know, anytime you get uh, up in the multiple billions of dollars, uh, Okta now uh, with a market cap up around $30 billion, and the market uh, has been pretty kind to them over the last year. So they had had some money to play around with, and this expands out their portfolio, really helps them both with user-side authentication and now application-side authentication. So big acquisition by Okta. Congratulations to both those teams. The second one, smaller acquisition, uh, Snowflake DB, uh, who we've covered quite a bit and talked about quite a bit, um, acquired Whole idea who uh, continues to help them expand out their engineering center. So um, not a huge uh, technology acquisition, but a um, expanding out their um, technology centers in Warsaw, Poland. So giving them a foothold in Eastern Europe, huge amount of, uh, of development over there. So uh, they continue to, to grow out. They uh, beat their numbers uh, in the last quarter. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they did beat their numbers. So congratulations to Snowflake. Third was NVIDIA announced their numbers, and their numbers were up above $5 billion. So um, you know, their Q4 numbers up above $5 billion. Uh, congratulations to them. Uh, strong quarter for NVIDIA. NVIDIA obviously going through some, some changes, uh, having acquired ARM. That deal is still waiting to be closed, but uh, you know, congratulations to the NVIDIA team. And then finally, in terms of earnings, Box, uh, who a lot of people use for uh, for file sharing, for collaboration, and uh, really one of the original sort of all-cloud companies. Uh, their fiscal year 2021 revenue of $771 million. So they were up 11% year over year. kind of thought Box was a billion-dollar company, but congratulations to them. Still having uh, very strong growth. Uh, continuing to see them 
you know, find more partnerships to expand out their collaboration. So a lot of money changing hands, a lot of uh, acquisitions going on, some numbers. And then finally, for those of you that have been missing Second Life, that remember Second Life, it's been more than a decade now, but uh, sort of the virtual reality world that got started probably a little too early, kind of uh, did some interesting things, but probably a little too early for uh, the internet age that we live in now. Uh, Microsoft launched a new virtual reality environment called Mesh. So it'll be interesting to watch how that evolves. Obviously, we've seen Lots and lots of things around AR and V over the last couple of years sort of fits and starts, some things working well, some things still evolving, but uh, Microsoft launching the Mesh virtual reality environment. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch and uh, feels like sort of the second generation of, uh, of Second Life. And obviously it'll be a little different uh, with AR and VR now becoming very mainstream. So with that, we're going to wrap up. Uh, really excited about today's talk. We're going to talk a little bit about, about value stream mapping. Uh, we did dive into it previously when we talked about sort of, you know, look ahead for digital transformation. But uh, this is really kind of getting get into methodology, how to think about it, the best ways to really apply it to both your technology as well as your business. So excited about that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by JumpCloud. JumpCloud offers a cloud directory platform that gives users a single identity for their email, apps, networks, and even their work devices, whether they're Mac, Windows, or Linux. JumpCloud gives IT admins a single pane of glass to configure and secure those devices, set policies for MFA, full disk encryption, screensaver, and much more. With JumpCloud, remote onboarding and offboarding goes from hours to under five minutes. JumpCloud puts zero trust security within the reach of organizations of any size. JumpCloud reimagines the relationship between the user identity, their work device, and their access to resources. Access is securely granted based on trusted identity, trusted device, and trusted network. So if you're looking for a directory that supports heterogeneous OSs, or you just need SSO, MDM, LDAP, MFA, or all of the above, JumpCloud will make your job easier. Try it out for yourself at jumpcloud.com. That's jumpcloud.com. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine learning-driven events. Datadog's cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you're already collecting with Datadog. To start monitoring your container clusters, sign up for a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadog.com cloudcast to get started. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, you know, for those of you that listen to the show quite a bit, you know that uh, things like DevOps and, you know, how do we improve the way that software is created, that we create business value has always been a topic that we we dive into a lot. Um, you know, we had a chance to talk to to John Willis and, and Andrew Schaefer kind of about transformation and, and flows and, and how do we, again, start to apply these, not just technologies, but uh, organizational structures and 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 things to um, you know to our our software process to our organizations and make them successful. And one of the things that we we've, we've never I don't think really really dove into, but I know it's it's always sort of been uh, you know in the background for a lot of what we talked about is is value stream mapping. And I know we hear about it, uh, but we've never really dug into it. And so we thought you know now might be a great time to do that. So many companies are going through transitions because of the COVID or because of, um, you know, what's going on in their world. And it's something that is really, really important and, and something we really need to kind of dig into a little bit more. So excited to have Steve Pereira, who is founder and consultant at uh, Value Stream Mapping Company uh, Visible. And uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. 
Well, thanks very much, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Really excited to talk about value streams any chance I get. So this is great. Yeah, awesome. So you know, before we dive into it, give us a little bit of your background. You've been around this space for a while. You've been helping companies do this for a while, but give us a little bit of your background and then just, you know, what, what kind of makes you passionate about, you know, wanting to improve the way that, that people, uh, you know, not only build software, but build applications and, and improve their business. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a long story going all the way back to uh, my childhood, but um, essentially <laughs> to spare, to spare some time, I've always kind of been obsessed with process and systems because I'm not a process oriented person myself. You know, it doesn't come naturally to me. Uh, I've always kind of struggled to understand and visualize what was happening. And especially around the flow of work, I've always been kind of really interested in how work flows through organizations and through teams. So even at the very beginning of my career, I was working in tech support on the phone, helping people with Windows problems and printers. And so the flow of that process was something that uh, really interested me. And it caused me to look at the the end-to-end process of call coming in, solve the problem, move on to the next thing, and looking at ways to optimize that for my own laziness, you know, just to make sure that I was, you know, getting the most value for my time for the least amount of effort. And one of the first things that I did in sort of the value stream and the process optimization space was to create a frequently asked questions so that instead of having all these calls come in for things where people could solve their own problem, we gave them a frequently asked questions and cut call volume down by 60%. So that's something that, uh, you know, sort of started this thinking, this, this way of addressing work and all through my career, build and release engineering, IT management. Um, I was a CTO prior to this role, always looking at what we were doing, trying to understand it, uh, not just for myself, but for my teams, for my organization in a holistic sense, bring everybody into the same understanding and then target our efforts where it was going to address a specific constraint or a specific bottleneck or opportunity. So I just think that, uh, the ability to kind of step away from work and analyze what it is that we're doing is something that's so important and rarely done, right? We get carried away working and we don't always realize that the the saw is dull or we're sawing on the wrong tree now and stepping away and having ways, really productive ways of stepping away and, and finding out where we should focus uh, individually and as teams and as organizations is just something that is super powerful. And I really think is the next level beyond DevOps, beyond Agile and beyond everything that we're doing right now. Yeah, so it definitely sounds like it's something that's it's probably embedded somewhere in, in your DNA. It's, you know, there, there are people who who think this way, who love it. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've had it at various times in my life, so I, I can appreciate where you're coming from. Let's, let's sort of start, I don't want to say completely at the beginning, but for anybody who's not familiar with um, with value stream mapping, value streams, the whole concept of of kind of mapping out processes, you know, kind of walk us through the basics of, you know, wh- what are they? Um, you know, why do people need them? Why do people use them? What are some of the values? You know, the valuable things that they get uh, as a benefit of it. I, you know, you you talked about you know 
finding a process, cutting 60% out, but kind of walk us through kind of the, the core of, of value stream mapping. Sure. So uh, really value streams in a nutshell are the end-to-end process of taking a raw material and creating value that gets delivered to customers. Um, in 2021, raw material tends to be data, right? Information, ideas, uh, intangible things, right? We're creating software, we're creating uh, new ways of working, we're creating value that's not a physical good um, more often than we are physical goods these days. And I don't think that trend is going to uh, to change directions anytime soon. So it's important for us to look at this flow of idea to delivery. And this is especially you know important in the context of DevOps, but DevOps really only looks at a portion of the value stream. We're talking about the development activities and the operations activities. Uh, the value stream stretches from inception all the way to delivery and use and reconciliation of value. So everything to your customers are using the product or the feature and giving you data about how it's going so that you can then improve the product or the process as a result. So it's a big picture. And that's part of what I love about it so much is that it is covering the entire end-to-end scope of, of activity that a business is concerned about. And that's another really powerful thing is that this is now in the realm of business and technology. And the same concept of value streams works whether you're in HR and your your value stream is candidate selection, or if you're onboarding new hires, that's another value stream. And not a lot of people think of these things as value streams. I'm one of maybe maybe the only person who does, but I find that that end-to-end process where we have an incepting activity and then delivering value on the other end, it works in so many different contexts. It really provides this language that we can all talk about pretty much the same things all the time, right? We all have bottlenecks, we all have flow, we all are trying to deliver value, and we all have customers, whether they're internal customers, external customers, partners, colleagues. Um, These kind of principles and and models and ways of looking at work, uh, they're just so universal. Uh, There's so much return on investment in, in really digging into this subject and learning about it because it pays off everywhere. Yeah. It, um, it, well, it sorry, go ahead. It was interesting. I, I sort of kicked off the show, you know, and I was talking about, uh, you know, essentially like sort of building software and, and applications. And then you gave us, you kind of gave the example of saying, you know, I, I applied this to, to customer support. I kind of did it for self-service or somebody else. And it, and it sort of dawned on me exactly what you were saying. Like, this is something that the, 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 the frameworks of it apply to, pretty much everything, right? If you're in product management and you're thinking about how do I, you know, how do I get customers onboarded? If I'm thinking in marketing and I'm thinking about how do I go, you know, kind of from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel, like I can see where, you know, these types of frameworks would would apply to a whole lot of different things. Yeah. And, you know, even the example of a podcast, right? You've got ideas for different podcasts coming in one end you've got a finished product that someone's listening to on the other end and a whole lot of activity that's going on behind the scenes 
Um, maybe multiple players involved. Maybe there's multiple systems. There's probably more than one bottleneck in that process. And if our goal is to you know, crank them out more often or get more value out of the podcasts that we're producing, um, produce higher quality podcasts, these are all levers that are available to us in the value stream. And that brings me to mapping. So I, I didn't forget about the concept of <laughs> mapping. Um, I do want to talk about that. So really, um, the first thing to talk about when we talk about mapping is that the act of mapping is more valuable than a map. Any given map is just a model, right? And a model it could be useful, but it's never accurate, right? It's, it's never a one-to-one -one representation of reality. Right. It's just meant to be useful. And so a value stream map is a representation of a value stream that is meant to direct your attention or reveal specific opportunities to illustrate something that is invisible before you start mapping. But by mapping, we create this artifact that we can share with other people. We can come together to build collaboratively so that we're representing separate perspectives. And it doesn't have to be driven by hard data. It can be driven by different opinions because if we're collecting opinions from an entire team, we're gonna come to some representation of reality that's useful, right? It doesn't have to be accurate. We don't have to say, well, everyone has to agree that this takes four hours or else we might as well give up. Uh, in a lot of cases, what we're doing with mapping a value stream is we look at all the activities involved and we draw those boundaries based on where the work gets handed off from one person to the next, um, what sort of tools are involved, what, what, what's the purpose of the activity in the flow. And to give people sort of a picture of what this looks like, it looks a lot like a flow chart. It looks a lot like a flow chart of sequ sequential activities running horizontally from start to finish, left to right. Uh, but the big difference is measurement and data. So if you take a typical flow chart and then you add quantifiable data uh, and qualified data, we're asking first about timing. The most traditional aspect of a value stream map is the time that it takes to perform each activity and the wait time in between those activities. And that's where we see a lot of value just right off the bat. So uh, for instance, a lot of the time we focus on development activities and how long it takes to code something, get it tested, get it deployed and turn it on live in a production environment. And we're not necessarily looking at how long it takes to uh, plan that activity or get it in a backlog and how long it sits in a backlog, how many approvals it has to go to through before anyone starts working on it. All of this can become visible in a value stream as well as the handoffs between the different groups or the different stakeholders. So if we have something coming from product where they're defining a backlog item and then it sits for three weeks and someone from development picks it up, realizes that there's not enough detail to start working on it and it gets sent back to product, these are all things that we can visualize and measure in the value stream uh, with a value stream map. And then it will appear relative to all the other activities in the stream. And perhaps that is the biggest bottleneck, right? Perhaps that is our largest constraint or opportunity or risk. And so we go from a scenario where if we asked 
everybody on the team what the biggest opportunity or risk was or the biggest bottleneck, you might get different answers from everyone. But with the map, we can all agree that two weeks is longer than two hours. And that, you know, if we're handing work back 80% of the time, that's probably something that we can address. Okay. So the map, the map in essence, if, 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 I'm, if I'm understanding right, is, is a little bit like the, uh, you know, the, the picture you see sometimes where you have a bunch of, of blind men or, or people with blindfolds and they're kind of grabbing a different part of the elephant and therefore, you know, they have this different perspective, but it's, you know, here's what I think the, the world looks like. If you have the map, like you said, um, you know, it may not be perfect. It's, it's, it's relatively close, but it allows different people to go, okay, we're all talking about the same sort of thing. So I can, I can kind of then get a perspective on, you know, why you think about this or why you interact with this, but we're still kind of coming back to the same bigger picture of things, if you will. Exactly. And I think that it's very unique in that way because we can have endless meetings where we just talk sometimes past each other, sometimes over each other, sometimes at each other. um, And we can all leave a meeting with a different idea of what was discussed and what the outcome was, right? A a lot of times we don't get a lot of value from meetings. Um, Likewise, you know, we don't get a lot of value from documentation very often. Um, And documentation is very biased, very opinionated. One person writes it, or, you know, if everybody writes it, it takes forever to do. And the opportunity with mapping is that we have this visual collaborative activity. It's very accessible. It's very engaging. It's very easy for people to contribute. Uh, It's very easy for them to represent something that they have in their heads in a way that other people will share that same view. And what I try to do with my maps is simplify them to the point where if you're a new hire or a board member, you're going to look at the map and see the exact same insights. Um, You're going to see the same data. You're going to see the same image. And so bringing everybody under the same view means that we can all be talking about the same thing. We can, we can save a lot of that waste of having different opinions or different perspectives heading off in different directions and all align on the same understanding and then set off in the same direction. Yeah. So for, for anybody who, who hasn't sort of been through this process and they're thinking, okay, you know, we have a whole lot of processes in our organization that, that aren't great. Um, like you said, you know, there may be some finger pointing, there may be some just, uh, you know, silos in the organization that are, that are holding things back. Kind of walk us through the the basics of, of what the mapping exercise tends to do, right? Like how much pre-homework do you expect people to have sort of done? What would you expect them to bring like on day one? Um, you know, how do you, how, how do you work through, you know, kind of that, the, the whole idea of like, Let's not point fingers. Let's let's kind of get to the map first, and then, you know, how do you adapt it so that you know you're you're talking in the language of that specific company? Like, what what are some of the core things that you would typically do in in this type of engagement, and and how people are going to interact with it? Yeah, that's a great question. It really, uh, unfortunately, depends on a lot of things. Fortunately, depends. I mean, it's a highly tailored, bespoke process, right? I mean, it's very hands-on, very customized, Mm -hmm. but I've created a few programs that that kind of guide people through a process where initially 
people will find me based on my website. They might fill out my assessment. My I've got a really quick like five minute assessment that just collects some data about the current state. So what I usually like to start with is what kind of what kind of outcome in a rough sense are you looking for or what kind of challenges are you seeing? Um, and then I'll find out more about whether they are a project-based organization or a product-based organization, um, how work sort of flows through from their understanding at the moment. Um, that's all going to provide some valuable context, but the really beginning of the, the process is starting with outcomes. So we want to start with the end in mind. What is the goal that we're trying to achieve? And along with that comes uh, an investigation into why do we think that that's a valuable outcome just to kind of test our assumptions, test our understanding of outcomes. We want to look at pains and challenges and opportunities. We want to look at what are the obstacles that are currently in place between us and that desired outcome that all kind of paints this picture of what are we really dealing with before we start setting off in a direction? Because before you start mapping a value stream, what you want is to set your zoom level at the right distance. Yeah. And what I mean by that is you, you can, you can go 50,000 foot view and look at the entire organization, in which case you're looking at like, you know, Heinz ketchup, you're, you're talking about like tomatoes on one end and, and you've got like, bottles of ketchup on the other end in a, in a store. Uh, that might not be super useful, right? Um, what you might want to look at is like, what is the marketing process inside of inside of Heinz for ketchup? And so we usually start fairly high up just for context, just to bring everybody in from a very familiar scope. And then we will dig in based on the outcome. So uh, probably the most common outcome that teams come to me with is that they want to deliver more often. They want to be shipping to production twice as fast, sometimes five times, 10 times as fast. A lot of times teams don't know how fast they can go. So they just say they want to go faster, but at least we want to go twice as fast. Right. Um, oftentimes, you know, we'll discover that they can go way faster than they ever imagined. And sometimes I'm surprised by how fast we can, we can get them performing. Um, so it can be, it can be that in the cloud world, it can be all about migration, right? We've got, 2,500 apps right now, it takes us six weeks to migrate a single app. So how are we going to get through the whole portfolio, right? We can't just hire tons of people to do this. We can't just um, wish it into completion. We've got to look at the process by which we're migrating apps and find out where the bottlenecks are, where the pain points are. And so we move into the value stream mapping exercise focused at first at the high level, then zooming in where we we think there's going to be the biggest opportunity for improvement. And that's based on what I call a bottleneck hypothesis. It's We're making a guess that if we focus here and we zoom into a specific level, we're going to discover opportunities that are going to tackle and enable that outcome. And then beyond that, there's a bunch of mapping exercises that go beyond the, the current state value stream map, like an ideal state value stream map and a future state value stream map. Um, but people can read more about that because I don't know that we'll get to, we'll get to that in the podcast. There's yeah, a yeah. lot 
really behind the scenes. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll put things in the show notes. Uh, you, you can never become an expert in 30 minutes, but we'll get you uh, we'll get you some pointers to stuff. You know, as as people start to kind of build out the map, they get familiar with it. Like you said, you, know, you take a, a common goal of like we wanna we wanna deploy more quickly, or we wanna uh, you know um, migrate things more more quickly, or whatever. Are you, are you always looking at it sort of in pieces so that you can you can optimize certain things, or is there this natural tendency to say, let's look at this whole thing end to end and, and kind of fix it all? Is it is it really part of that sort of getting to the right focus level, the right zoom level, or is is the natural thing to say, okay, we have the map, uh, you know, do we do we look at low hanging fruit first? Do we sort of take the most painful thing? Like, how, how do you tend to break it up so that you actually get stuff done. Yeah, that's that's the really important part, right? I mean, a map is great, but if it's not helping you get to where you want to go, then uh, then then really, what value is it providing? So, what we aim to get out of mapping is three immediate opportunities, prioritized opportunities that address uh, a major portion of whatever is impacting our desired outcome. So in the case of going faster, um, usually what's going to happen is we're going to find three opportunities that if we were to tackle them in the next three months, we're going to cut lead time in half, or we're going to cut it by 80%. Um, And beyond that, what happens is once you tackle those opportunities, your value stream changed and you have a different bottleneck, right? So the bottlenecks that you identified previously are no longer relevant and we should really map again and find out where they are now. Because as you tackle these things, your constraint is going to be somewhere else, right? You're going to be slowed down by something else. And what I always aim for is to to do this very quickly, right? So it's not a lot of cost. I want teams to be mapping every quarter, whether it's with me or not. Because if you're making significant progress, your value stream is going to look different every three months. And so your bottleneck is going to be different every three months. You're going to have a new highest priority every three months. And that's a great thing, right? Oftentimes what happens is we go years without doing these activities. And so we always have the same constraint and nobody's tackling it. And and we're not even some cases aware that it's there. Uh, But once you are, things change very quickly, right? You have this opportunity to invest some energy Uh, Maybe you build out some automation and all of a sudden your biggest worry is somewhere else. And so to find that we want to remap, but we're talking about a couple of hours here. You know what I, I want to get teams to where value stream mapping is almost like a retrospective, right? Like it happens all the time. It's part of our continuous improvement. Um, But there's also an innovation aspect to it too. You can, you can, discover really game-changing opportunities. It's not just about iteratively getting a little bit better all the time. Sometimes you find huge opportunities. So um, at least every quarter, I wouldn't go more often than than once a quarter, but I'd love to see teams doing this on a regular basis because um, as we move, we want to be finding the current biggest opportunity, whatever that is. And it allows us to be evolving and adapting and moving in different directions where we don't have to commit to an 18 month improvement uh, plan. We've got something that's really quick to fix. It's going to really move the needle. And then we move on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
I want to I want to kind of bounce something off you. So so I've tried to follow this space for a while, and like earlier in my life, I grew up I grew up around Detroit. I've talked about this on the show, so I was always fascinated with kind of the automotive industry, automotive manufacturing. Um, sort of studied some of it in 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 university, you know, sort of operational um, you know, procedure and so forth. And it all made a lot of sense. It made sense where you measure, um, you know, how you think about value, how you think about flows, and then. As I start thinking about it in the context of software, a lot of the principles tend to align, but there's the one part that that I never could wrap my head around, which is, you know, at the end of building a car, it rolls off the line, and as far as like the Ford Motor Company is concerned, it's gone, right? Like that piece of work is gone, you know, whatever it was. If if I have a piece of software, um, I have an application per se, like that thing is an ongoing living thing I have to deal with, right? So, you know, at some point it's going to have a bug. There's a piece I have to fix. Like it's, it's almost, it's the, the equivalent of like where the car ro- rolled off the, the the manufacturing line, but then it comes back in because, you know, we have to maintain that application. We have to maintain that branch. We have to, so like help me understand what I'm not understanding about the sort of loop that happens with software um, that you you know is is different than the classic way of you know measuring this like Toyota production system or Six Sigma where there's sort of an end to the production line like kind of connect mm-hmm. those for me does that make sense? Absolutely, and this is something that you know I'm constantly trying to align in my own mind and and find out where the analogies make sense, where the existing body of work makes sense, and where it doesn't apply because. I would say, you know, one of the biggest failings of Agile and DevOps is really throwing the baby out of, with the bathwater on this. Like considering that software is is this unique snowflake custom bespoke craft activity where nothing is consistently repeated and nothing should be consistently repeated and process is something that's a dirty word has really led to, you know, extremely wasteful, confusing, and unproductive uh, development practices. But when we look at it, you know, I think there's a lot more in common than not. And the example of the car rolling off the lot, you know, if we look at the grandparents of the Toyota production system, what Toy- part of what Toyota did that was so revolutionary was they reached all the way into the dealer channel. So they were very... Um, focused on the customer experience all the way beyond buying the car to servicing the car and what it was like to maintain a relationship with a customer throughout the entire uh, ownership process. And so service and even buying your next car, right? Because when we think about it, like if you, if you sell someone a car and say, you know, bye, I hope I never hear from you again you're missing an opportunity for a lifetime customer um, who's going to be referring you business from friends, you know, families buying multiple cars. And that starts looking a lot like the reality of software, right? And the reality of subscription-based products. Um, Relationship is everything. That high-touch, continuous um, connection with customers. And so hitting production isn't the end of the line in the same way that, uh, you know, rolling off product off the production line isn't the end in, in car manufacturing. And so we, if we consider the boundaries of the value stream to be everything from 
customers are interacting and sending us data about the usage of the product to they might be referring friends or expanding inside of an organization from a pilot team to a division. You really can draw those boundaries wherever you wherever your concern is and manage that flow of value at a scope that facilitates your goal, right? If your goal is to increase adoption in your product uh, and, and maximize engagement, then you want to be looking a little bit beyond feature delivery, right? You want to be looking to when your customer is using the product because that's going to then feed back into the value stream to inform your feature selection and, and your backlog grooming, right? If you know that customers are responding super well to one feature and not another, then all of a sudden your backlog should adjust, right? And maybe you prioritize something that was way down the list because now you have the data to say that, oh, people probably really want this thing. Uh, let's get it out the door. Yeah, no, makes makes a ton of sense. That that's that's actually a a very very helpful way of of thinking about. I w- I was thinking about it in too finite of a of a context that that helps that helps quite a bit. Let me ask you one last question. I, I, we're gonna we're gonna kind of run out of time here. Um, t- real quick for anybody who you know is, is thinking about this or is beginning to work on it. Like, there's always there's always a couple of like, look, if you do these couple of things. I tend to see success all the time, but if you do these couple of things, it tends to make the process take twice as long or it sort of fails. Like what are mm-hmm. a couple of those, like always do this kind of avoid these couple of things, uh, tips you can give to anybody who's going through this process. Yeah. I would say that, you know, th- there are very few hard and fast rules, but what I found successful and, and, uh, problematic in the past are, uh, it, it's kind of common knowledge in, in mapping and facilitation to get someone to help out who's outside of your team, right? Who doesn't have a dog in the fight or who really doesn't have anything to gain by biasing or shaping the situation in any way. So that doesn't have to be me or another consultant. It can be somebody from another team who has facilitation experience. Ideally, they do have facilitation experience because this is a very human activity. You know, it might seem data-driven, but the way that you get to that data is through people. And so you need to get them to open up. You need to get them to think creatively. You need to get them to collaborate together, share space. Uh, you can't have any one person dominating the conversation. So there's a lot of human aspects to it. So I would that's where I've spent almost all of my time over the past couple of years building visible is in, in honing my facilitation skills and getting really good at that. The tech side of it and the practical side of it is much less important because ultimately the end product depends on people. It depends on people bringing their energy and their perspectives and thinking critically and thinking retrospectively. Like, you know, you're building the value stream based on people's understanding of the process as it is. So you've got to make it really easy for them to do that. And so you have to be able to present these concepts of value streams so that people understand what you're trying to do and buy into it and then really understand what kind of data is valuable and at what scope. It's always hard to get people to focus on what's happening most often because a lot of people, you know, our natural answer is it depends. But for the purposes of the exercise, we want to look at the last few times that we did this activity 
um, what was the, what, how long did it take, right? And, and how often is it failing? And these are tough, right? You've got to reach into your brain and pull these things out. And so uh, I think taking too long is another big problem for that reason. You, it's very taxing, I think, to be doing this. It's an incredible exercise. I will say that it, you know, it, it's, it's unparalleled in the value that it creates, but because it's, it's, it's really dealing with things that we don't think about on a regular basis, uh, we don't want it to take forever. So a lot of people will take like three to four days, eight hours in a zoom or, you know, previously in a boardroom. And at the end of it, they never want to think about the thing ever again. And they don't want to look at the map. They're just exhausted and they wish that it never happened. And so all of my sessions, I, I cap at two hours. And if we have to do more than one, that's okay. But I don't want to burn people out. And I don't want people to come away from it with a sense that this, is, this wasn't valuable. And I wish I would just able to do my work instead of come to this thing. So yeah. I want it to be a team building exercise. I want it to be... Uh, something that people are really thrilled about and energized by. And, you know, I hear from people all the time, this is the first time I've ever seen our process end to end. And I've been here for years and years and years, or, you know, I've never actually sat in the same room as this person, or, you know, I've never taught, I've never heard about what happens in marketing. Right. So uh, that's what I want. That's what I want is to bring teams together under this new umbrella that is helping them to see flow and value in a new way and really energizing them as contributors to understand this is what's coming to me from upstream in the process, how I'm affecting other people downstream from me and how we're all really on the same team at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, Steve. Thank you so much for uh, for the time today, um, folks. You know, we'll, we'll put some things in the show notes. As we mentioned, we can't uh, we can't make you all value stream mapping experts uh, in in thirty minutes. But uh, I'll also highlight there's there's some really really good uh, videos that, that Steve has both on the website, his own website, as well as the the vision uh, uh, the the visible website. Um, to kind of just give you a, a perspective on, on what this stuff is. So want to, again, thanks, Steve, for, for the time. Good insight. Uh, again, helped help me learn some things. Hopefully it, uh, it helped folks learn some things as well. Um, folks, with that, I'm going to wrap it up uh, for, for myself and Aaron. We want to thank Steve again for his time today. I want to thank you all for continuing to, to tell a friend about the show, uh, growing the community. Uh, it continues to grow both here in the States as well as worldwide, and we're very, very thankful for that. So if you get a chance, uh, if you want to give us some feedback, you can always send us feedback, show at thecloudcast.net, or if you want to give us a rating on one of the uh, places you get your shows, we would love to hear from that. So with that, I'm going to wrap up, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 